Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years of experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey local provider, and have been helping corporations and individuals uh, for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, uh, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates, and uh, glad to be here today, guys. Yeah, it's a great day, isn't it? Here, the you know, kind of in the midst of spring, run up to the Masters. One Beautiful of my favorite weather times. Right now. March Madness going. Favorite on. time, Margaret March Madness. Not that we care about that too much. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Well, since all of our local teams are kind of, yeah, not in there. Well, Georgia made it. Georgia's, Georgia's the only the one that has a dog in the fight. In the fight. Oh, right. oh that's, that's a good one. I like that. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a funny I, guy. I just came up with that. Yeah, funny, it's like funny his, doctor. It's like history. I doubt that dog will be in the fight real long. We'll see. Michigan State may put it to him. It might be one and done. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Um, also go on our website, moneymd.net. We have a uh, podcast um, button on there that you can click and go look at all of our podcasts over the last six months or so. Right. So if you miss a session, it, we make it easy. Of course, you can stream us right off the yep, website absolutely. as well. Um, link to the stream there. And um, we'd love to have your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us again off our website, moneymd.net. Um, well, guys, I think we have an awesome show lined up here for the day. It's all about the economy, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, everybody's talking about it, you know, what's happening with the economy, and it's we're kind of at this precipice, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, it's This is kind of our economic show here yeah, today. Common so, yeah, we're economists yeah, today, right? We are, yeah. So put on bit. your economist <laughs> hat here and tune in because, I mean, this is stuff that affects our everyday lives. Um, you know, what are interest rates going to do? What are what's the stock market? You know, it's related to the economy in a lot of ways. And, and so, yeah, we're going to dig into that. We're going to start off with, I think, a, an interesting article here about five reasons that rates won't go up this year. Oh, making not, a prediction. Huh? Well, not that we're making a prediction, but this guy does. I mean, yeah, this guy is it's an article from uh, uh, CNBC. Um, and, you know, this guy, Charles. Bitterman, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, why he doesn't think rates are going to go up this year, and he gives some pretty compelling reasons. So we're going to start off with that. Yeah, that's a great article. It is, and we're going to follow that up with a, an article about the dollar. Guys, I don't know if you noticed, I'm sure you have, but the dollar is is uh, really at record levels. It, the strength of the dollar is, is amazing when you compare it against the euro. And it has an impact um, not only on the economy but also on the stock market as well, and, and returns and so forth. So we're gonna we're gonna dive a little deep on that. There's some technical things in there. We'll try to keep it, you know, 
know, simple, um, you know, understandable, but it's a very important uh, piece of the equation of what's happening right now. Yeah, it affects the economy and it affects, you know, obviously exports, imports, all mm, kind yeah. of things. That's right. That affect our everyday lives. So, uh, yeah, it's a good topic. Well, and if you're traveling abroad, that's great because it gives you more purchasing power. But, you know, not the majority of people are traveling abroad. So, uh we're talking about rewriting the script here with the U.S. economy in the mm-hmm. last section and uh, how that relates to the overall theme that we're, uh, we're tying together here. You know, it's funny to read how some economists, um, they, they may think or say that, you know, here's some reasons why the rates won't go up. And then others are thinking, well, you know, they might tighten them up here a little bit. <clears throat> so it's interesting to see some different point of views. Yeah, and part of the theme here today is it's just all very unpredictable. Absolutely. So, don't try to predict you know, it. Absolutely. Don't try to predict it. But, um, Which leads us anyway. into the financial fact of the week, right? Exactly. <laughs> right into the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, USA Today. And, uh, you know, the guys, the, the bull market, um, it really dates back to, um, to uh, 2009. In March of 2009 was a very low point of the, of the bear market. And it turned around on March the 9th. So the sixth anniversary we just hit with the S&P 500, and it's had a tremendous run. Um, unfortunately, we see a lot of people making predictions like we were talking about, and then investors will make decisions based on those headlines. And that is very, very dangerous to do. And here's an example. Um, back on uh, October the 10th of 2002, uh, the bear market for stocks were had reached about two and a half years in length. And there was a writer from USA Today that wrote that there is no bottom in sight for the bear market. <clears throat> and what he didn't know was is that was the very first day of a five-year bull market that saw the S&P 500 double in value. So, you know, USA Today is a, you know, very great it's a great publication. I like reading it. Um, but to make a decision and people see that and they make a decision on what what this gentleman's saying, exactly. he has no clue. He has no idea. And how many people six years ago were predicting that the bear market of 2009 and 2008 would continue for, mm-hmm. you know, oh, an yeah. extended period of time? Yeah, right. And then they said, oh, it's going to be 10 years before we recover from that. And, you know, the market recovered, you know, back to that level in about, four, you know, three years. So, I mean, it, yeah. it's... Yeah, it's very unpredictable, and it just goes to show you, you don't make vast predictions or, or plan your future on headlines, you know, current events and headlines. And, you know, same thing with interest rates we're going to dive right into here. Yeah, the five reasons rates won't go up this year. I think it's interesting how you get a couple weeks of numbers that come out that show, you know, there's some softness in the economy, and and all of a sudden guys are writing articles that say, oh, gee, you know, rates aren't going up this year. So I've heard that theme here in the last couple of weeks, and and so I thought it'd be interesting to pull one of these articles and dig into it. And they do have some compelling reasons, and he may be true here, but yeah. So so it starts starts off here. Yeah, okay. So everybody knows the Fed is going to raise rates this year, right? I mean, either this summer or in the fall, right? <laughs> Well, kind of, kind of like Groundhog Day. Wrong. Yeah. yeah, Groundhog Day. I mean, there are some compelling reasons why the Fed may take a sigh and let it go an entire year before raising rates. And, you know, I agree with that. It certainly could happen. Of course, everyone's been predicting higher interest rates for years now. And, you know, this, this so-called six-year bull market um, that the, econo- the economic recovery really has been one of the lamest in history. Mm-hmm really trepid, to say the least. I mean, so while everyone continues to predict stronger growth ahead and the kind of financial strong phase, that growth that you typically see in the, in a, at the end of an economic cycle, it never seems to 
really come true. Mm-hmm. You know, we haven't really seen that kind of capitulation in, in really strong economy that you typically see. And I think this administration has finally figured out how to engineer the historically elusive soft landing for the economy. Yeah, it's called never leaving the runway. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't take off, it's pretty easy to pull back into the gate without any wear and tear. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and that's what's happened here. The problem with that kind of soft landing is you never get anywhere either. It's true. You know, which is where we've been the past six years under this administration's economy. Um, So, yeah, let's just start with jobs. You know, take a look at job growth here. While it has improved over the past couple years, it certainly is not as bullish as the headlines would leave you to believe. Over the past 13 months, there have sure enough been 3.4 million jobs created versus 2.6 million over the comparable prior 13 months. But the main reason for the extra 800,000 jobs was the end of the 2013 uh, cessation of super extended unemployment benefits. So people had to go get a job? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, those super extended unemployment benefits ran out, didn't get renewed. So the folks that dropped off the dole had to take minimum wage, 30-hour type jobs. And that's why wage growth is is non-existent. The, the newly employed making minimum wage are not taking home very much more than they made via unemployment benefits and food stamps. So while unemployment is at the lowest level in seven years, wage growth has been non-existent, and the underemployment rate remains double-digit. Yeah, no doubt. And they don't ever report that. That's um, right. That's, you know, a lot of people have fallen off the radar. And also, you know, economists, um, you know, they've been incorrectly predicting over the past several years that interest rates will have to rise because of an improving economy. And kind of like, you know, the, the Clemson football team sometimes, it just doesn't show up. <laughs> oh, you know, stop just that. We never. showed up last fall, buddy. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's right. I'm just getting wow. ready starting for this our, Starting our, our <laughs> five-year run it's here. spring training, you know. Yeah. For, He's pretty bold here, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> I you know, know just like try to just slip that in yeah. un, uncontested. Well, you know, it, sometimes things don't arrive. So, all right, Carolina didn't <laughs> arrive last year. So, But, you know, that's why even higher bond prices and lower yields may be in store for this year. And, you know, there's a consensus of economists that uh, may continue to incorrectly predict uh, the bond bear market. So, again, we talk about people predicting and making decisions off of that. It just It's not a wise thing to do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, so that's that's jobs, you know. And then there's manufacturing. I mean, this month alone, personal income and spending, manufacturing, auto sales, factory orders, and retail sales have all come in on the weak side. And that's really what has you know people writing articles like this. Um, but yeah, Citigroup keeps economic surprise indexes for the world, and its scoreboard just shows that the U.S. has been the most disappointing relative to the consensus forecast with Latin America and Canada next as of March the 12th. So emerging markets were supposed to be hurt by falling oil prices but are now delivering positive surprises. Um, So U.S. policymakers frequently talk about the weakness in Europe and China, but those are both exceeding expectations, but not here in the U.S., So, you know, and then one rub to that is, I mean, the shortfall here in the U.S. doesn't necessarily mean that the world's largest economy is in dire straits. It's just falling short of some perhaps overly, uh, you know, uh, over elevated expectations 
for a pretty anemic economy. Mm-hmm. So yep. anyway, we'll continue the discussion. We'll come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call, 706-739-0725. We'll be right back at these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we're continuing our discussion here um, about the economy, guys. It's all about the economy today, and, you know, there's a lot to, to think about here. There's a lot going on in the economy. We're in kind of unusual territory here. And we're first talking about interest rates. You know, the prevailing wisdom has been that interest rates were going to rise this summer or this fall. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about it for, gee, over a year. We've been expecting rates to rise for a couple years now, and it hasn't happened yet. And and here we are with five more reasons why rates won't even go up this year. I was reading an article this last week, and um, it was talking about how all the traders um, on the stock market are watching the, the Fed. Right. If they take out one word from their statement, then it's going to send the markets, you know, in in uh, oh, they parse that those statements one word down to every single yeah. word, like you said. So, and so they're looking for any 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 softness in the way they talk about mm-hmm. raising rates and when they might raise rates, and and uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how that affects the stock market. In the short term, you know, and, and long term, I don't think it. No, I don't either. It doesn't have a big effect, but in short term, it does. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big deal if they don't raise rates this year. And, and so, this is an article out of CNBC, and it talks about, you know, there are five good reasons why they don't, they may not raise rates this year. And first, it's jobs. I mean, job growth really has been anemic. Um, this administration has, you know, uh, apparently engineered the perfect soft landing by never leaving the runway. Um, and so, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the economy has been has been pretty soft here. And, and then there's manufacturing. We talked about that. And manufacturing does appear to be softening, particularly recently with the recent reports that are coming out. And um, so that's another reason, you know, I mean, if the the Fed's going to raise rates if the economy is strong enough to endure it. They want to raise rates. I think that's obvious because they'd like to get off of zero and, and, and kind of get some some uh, some dry powder, if you will, mm-hmm. so that they yeah. have room to, to fight the economy if it starts to soften later on. So they'd like to raise rates to have some room to lower them later. But they're not going to do it if the economy is really, really soft. And so, you know, that leads us right into the third reason, which is housing. Housing, yeah, absolutely. You know, home sales, they spiked for several years when the interest rates plunged. But now everyone who could afford a new home had record low mortgage rates. They bought one. You know, so all this recent home sales numbers, uh, they've they've been a little disappointing, you know, on the downside. Um, throughout history, what has followed has usually been lower uh, sales that have lower prices, you know, so we we may see another dip in home prices here soon, and we'll 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 see what that does, you know, overall. Yeah, there's been a little softening, I think, of the home numbers here recently. Um, 
but I, I'm not sure about this argument that he makes here. But anyway, you know, the, he says, yeah, the non, non, nonsensical myth that lower sales are due to lack of supply is ridiculous. You know, in a supply and demand world, the lack of supply creates higher prices, and prices have stopped rising outside of New York, California, and South Florida. And so the problem is is not going to be it's not the problem is a lack of demand, not supply. Yeah, I agree um, with that, and I agree with that too. Um, so you know, home sales are are softening, and the reason number four here is um, is the global economy. The rest of the world. Um, has been in a global recession, according if, in his opinion, for some time. And when the world central banks, you know, dropped interest rates to zero, the immediate impact was a cut in prices for anything expensive enough to require debt to purchase it. And that price cut spurred, you know, sale of cars, houses, appliances, shipping, etc. But zero interest rates then inspired producers of cars and other commodities particularly oil, to boost production dramatically. Unfortunately, without the real increase in final demand, what happens is what we have now, and that is the vast majority of that excess supply in oil and commodities and, uh, you know, global uh, uh, automobile capacity has not been absorbed, and mm-hmm. it's resulted in lower lower and weaker prices. Yeah, and another factor which we are going to hit on a lot in the next sector is the U.S. dollar. I mean, the U.S. dollar has surged um, and, uh, and a global slowdown are likely to restrain the U.S. economy through at least first half of the year. And Again, that's according to economic forecasters, so be careful with uh, what you take away with that. Uh, the, obviously, the winter was harsh, uh, slowed output for the current quarter. But even once that drag melts away, a wider trade gap will uh, likely be a headwind. And uh, that could keep the overall economic growth just below 3% in uh, 2015 as a stronger dollar means higher prices for U.S. goods overseas. So yeah, that's impacting. That's a headwind. You know? It really is. And we'll dig into that, the reasons for that here in just a minute. So why is the economy not growing here in the U.S. and elsewhere? Um, it's the result of the no-growth economic policies. I mean, those important data point not really understood is that since 2008, there have been fewer new businesses created than those that are closing, which is remarkable. I hadn't heard that stat before. You know, I mean, that's unprecedented, they say here. And then ever since the start of the Bush-Obama presidency's new job growth, um, new jobs created are the lowest as a percentage of population growth ever. Mm-hmm. And that's another stat I hadn't heard. So that's pretty interesting. You know, so unless that changes, the, the U.S. economy simply cannot sustain growth. Yeah. In fact, as opposed to, you know, take it off velocity, the U.S. economy is slowly, um, you know, entering into a shallow recession, according to what they're talking about here. It says the, the trim, trim tabs macroeconomics index, which is correlate is a correlation <coughs> weighted composite index of leading economic variables, it fell by 0.6% in the past 10 weeks and is 0.8% uh, below its October 2014 peak. Yeah, I you think know? I think that's this guy's kind of private index they've created here. Right, this is right in this article. So I don't know how much weight I'd put toward that. But, yeah, <laughs> it is interesting. You know, we could be falling into some kind of softness here. Um, the prevailing myth among investors is that we have to 
be entering into a sustainable economic recovery for the stock market to rise. However, um, you know, almost and almost all investors believe there's a relationship between a weak economy and lower stock prices and vice versa. But that's not entirely true. I mean, he points out the stock market can continue to do well even in a weak economy, and it's partly due to competition and supply and demand. You know, with no options available for decent yields and dividends alone, um, the, in, you know, demand for stocks can remain high even in a weak economy. I mean, stocks are actually yielding more in dividends alone than a five-year CD is. So there really are not any good alternatives to stocks for investing your money today with any chance of a decent return. Um, so even with the prospects of continued weak economy, stocks look pretty attractive compared to most alternatives. So also valuations are still very reasonable. So the stock market could continue to, to plot along with moderate returns for some time to come. You know, another side factor is the, the uh, stock market um, has a declining number of shares available since the total number of shares in the U.S. stock market has been declining since the end of 2011, more money has been chasing fewer shares, and that's been adding pressure to stock prices to rise. So as for long as companies keep reducing the overall share count, there is pressure for U.S. stock market to continue rising regardless of the global economies. So, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, I mean, the, the moral of the story here is this really is unpredictable. There are compelling arguments for the market continuing to go up and for interest rates not to rise this year. The, the, the point here is, you know, you don't want to try to time it. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, when you look at the, um, the the stock market, people trying to predict the direction and so forth, I mean, you're, we're talking about a lot of short-term uh, noise. That's and, right. And so focus on long-term. Have a plan in place. Um, because the short-term noises can be maddening, you know, when you start looking at it and analyzing it. And we, we share some of this because this is what people are seeing, and we have questions on this, you know, frequently. So um, it's something to, to talk about, but not necessarily make, you know, drastic, you know, changes to your plan. That's right. And we definitely suggest you stay in an excellent diversified portfolio, resist the temptation, try to time the markets or interest rate. Yep. You know, the, these arguments just go to show how unpredictable it all is. So, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question comes from our um, our favorite listener. Uh, this listener has been our longest listener. Uh, it happens to be my mom. I was going to say, it must be your mom. <laughs> I have to say that, right? So, my, it's my favorite. Shout my out mom. to mom. So, that's right. So, thanks for sending this, mom. And, and so, the question is, is uh, different risk levels should produce different returns. Is that correct? And and so, what she was kind of getting at is, um, you know, we have, you know, five different risk levels with more equities in there. And, you know, more equities are typically going to give you a higher return over time. Yeah, this has been a good question because we've gotten this question from a lot of people. You know, why last year were there not some differences between mm-hmm. returns and risk? Because they were pretty flat across the board, across risk levels mm-hmm. in our portfolios and in most portfolios. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, in general, over time, the more equities you have, the higher returns you'll have, but you'll also have more volatility. So if you're in a 50-50 between bonds and stocks, then then you're likely going to have lower returns over time than if you were 100% in equities. So, yeah, there's definitely, definitely a correlation between that. There definitely is. But there are years like last year, and, yeah, and you know, sure. there are certainly years where they're pretty flat across the mm-hmm. board. So Good question, Mom. Good question, definitely. <laughs> All right. And that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. We'd love to hear from you. Um, or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back. 
Saturday's Nashville Tanzino News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to lead off our second segment here with a um, new topic, and that is the strong dollar, good or bad. Yeah. Is that... Uh, you know, this is an article, I guess, right? Uh, it, it is. This comes out of uh, Marketing Pro, which we uh, subscribe to, and kind of puts together you know some good topics out there. And you know, guys, the the dollar is in the news. I don't think a lot of people understand how it impacts the market, um, the stock market, and the economy as a whole. So, you know, we thought we'd dive into it a little bit. And you've probably heard and seen headlines that the the dollar is strong and. Probably also heard that the strong dollar mounts um, to a headwind against stocks, and you know it's it's been good for. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's yeah. been great for all the cheap stuff I tend to buy off the internet. You know, <laughs> yes. I get that imported stuff, and man, that stuff has gotten to be where yeah. it's just amazing what you can buy now. But is it staying together? Well, I, uh, you know, it's, what about the quality? But if you can buy two, <laughs> some of it, I mean, that, that's right. Two for, two for price the one. one. I mean, some of that stuff they make in China is pretty darn good stuff, and you know, it's uh, and there's some great deals out there. Anyway, so it's good for the consumer, I guess. It, is, my it point. is. It is good for the consumer, um, and um, you know, we we see the index. There's an index out there. Uh, it's called the USDX, um, which is basically a measure of how the dollar has done against key uh, currencies, foreign currencies. And between July of 2014 and February of 2015, that index rose an amazing 19%. Wow. In, in an eight-month time frame. And so what that basically does is it increases the cost of, of goods in the U.S. And then, like you're saying, it decreases the cost of, of foreign-made goods. Imports, so, yeah. So from a macro standpoint, what that what that is starting to do is you start seeing companies in the international arenas having more demand because their goods are so cheap. Yeah, it's almost a 20% increase. That's amazing. And it's the speed of the increase that's been just eye-popping. Yeah. Well, how, how does that, John, how does that affect our abilities to to buy international investments? Yeah, I mean, from an international standpoint, um, you know, the, the when you translate it back into U.S. dollars, the returns, it's impacting the re, those returns. We saw that last year in 2014. Right. That's right. Some of the indexes actually had positive gains in their local currency, but when you translated it back to U.S. dollars, that's when they lost money. Right. And so it's impacting the returns in, internationally, but again, that big macro, if you think about the Titanic having to change, um, you know, we see the macro economic changes happening with U.S. goods more expensive, which should mean that, you know, earnings are maybe lower in companies. And we see that Coca-Cola comes out and they start warning about this. And as you mentioned, Steve, when you go into Amazon and buy your stuff from, from overseas, that is cheaper, which should help their earnings, which should mean that maybe, you know, stock markets would go up. I mean, yeah, and it actually helps. It, it does lower the, the price of buying international stocks. So now mm-hmm. is a great time, I think, mm-hmm. to diversify overseas if you're not already to buy international stocks because they are cheaper. And that's I mean, what I was you know, getting at, too, Steve. The and values are, are yeah. 
are pretty darn good. So you're saying maybe rebalance into it? Rebalancing into it. It's oh, a great time to buy Dr. what Marvin. is now low. You're yes, getting crazy exactly. Here. Isn't that crazy idea? You know, buy high, sell. I mean, you know, buy low, sell high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. I like We've that. We've heard that before. Well, and the euro is is something that really stands out. That's had a huge slide recently. Yeah, definitely. The euro has. I mean, the euro is now worth a dollar five as of this recording, you know, and it was the lowest level since 2003. I mean, that's a long time, guys. That's been over 12 years. I mean, that exchange rate was unthinkable only a few years ago when the euro was at a dollar 37 in U.S. dollars, and some predicted the euro could even replace the dollar as a global currency. Uh, but you might want to wait a little longer before you book that European vacation. They say the euro can go as low as a dollar sometime next year, hmm. according to Goldman Sachs. And they forecast one euro uh, going for as low as 80 cents by the end of 2017. Wow. So there are some forecasts out there. This slide may continue for a time, some time to come. Yeah, and here's, you know, we did a segment a couple of weeks ago on people doing forecasts. They're wrong about half the time. They are. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, don't make decisions off of these forecasts. That's, that's, that's kind that's of right. a, a theme that we have when we talk about these. But, you know, there are a lot of people that, that think the dollar's fast-paced rise won't, any, won't end any time soon they they think that the strength will continue and um, you know a, a dollar bear market if you look back in history actually occurred from 2001 to 2011 so it switched in the last 3 3 years or so but the dollar did not do well for a 10 year um, stretch and that was resulting from monetary policy by the federal reserve that uh, Mr. Greenspan and then uh, Ben Bernanke did um, US interest rates descended during that time frame to historic lows in the late 2000s and the dollar became more attractive as a funding currency for uh, for debt, and so you know we, we you know one of the takeaways I think when we talk about these things is these are economic concepts that we're talking about, and they change over time. And trying to predict when they change is is extremely difficult to do it. But um, Gordon, there's some reasons why the dollar has strengthened. I mean, there's yeah. there's some there, there there's there's several reasons here. You got twofold. There is twofold. It says, you know, one, the Fed is poised to tighten while other central banks have eased. You know, there's been quantitative easement uh, and a lot of talk of that, especially in uh, the European Central Bank, um, promoting expectations of a mightier U.S. currency. And then, two, our economy is healthy versus many other economies, you know, throughout the world. So the greenback gained on every other major currency in 2014, um, a development that we haven't seen, you know, since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how, how you know, when you compare to history, how unprecedented. It's not unprecedented, but it's been a long time since we've seen this kind of move in the dollar. And uh, But it's all interest rates, you know. It's the strength of economies, and when economies switch, I mean, this can change very, very fast, and that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, another reason why the euro is um, is, is being devalued is they're, they're basically lowering the interest rates, and there's some talk if the U.S. does increase interest rates, which we just said maybe they won't this year, but at some point they will, that'll increase the value of the dollar as well. So, Definitely. you know, if the dollar keeps rallying, you know, it's going to impact stocks and commodities potentially. That's true. Yeah, I mean, earnings could be hurt, and, you know, that means bad news for Wall Street. A strong dollar can curb the profits, as we mentioned, you know, here in the last segment, about for multinational companies, the big global companies, and that lower demand for exports um, will make uh, the cut. It's going to be lower demand for exports because it will become more expensive for, for people internationally to buy U.S. goods and services. 
And, of course, that hurts you know, profits and mm-hmm. hurts uh, production for companies. U.S. firms with the bulk of their business centered in, in America tend to cope better with a stronger dollar than firms that are major exporters. Yeah, and you know, historically, when you look at uh, this situation, small stocks usually do a little bit better than large stocks because they're based in the U.S., um, so True. again, there's there's a lot of different dynamics going on in here, and that's why we diversify. I mean, this is a great example of why we have diversification because no one knows how this is going to turn out. Uh, fixed income investments invested in um, dollar denominated assets, uh, they may fare better in such a, an environment than um, those invested in other currencies. As the dollar strengthens, uh, it reduces the the lure of commodities like gold and and oil um, because they face real headwind. So, so some economies out there as well, Brazil and South Africa, because they have a lot of producers of these commodities. So very complicated, detailed topic here. Um, but, you know, there, there's some reasons why the, the markets are moving the way they're doing. Well, like like Steve and like we've already kind of touched on, you know, when uh, when we have a stronger dollar here, it allows us uh, a little more purchasing power for imports. Mm-hmm. You know, and improved customer spending could also give the Fed's ground to extend its uh, accommodative monetary policies. So we'll see what kind of changes they, they bring on with that. Yeah, so this leads to a question. How are people investing in the dollar? Some people want to go out there and invest. U.S. investors have dollar exposure now as an effect of being invested in U.S. equities, basically. And those who want more exposure to uh, to the rally can turn to investment vehicles that are specifically oriented in uh, in dollar investing. But European investors, on the other hand, they're they're actually responding by the uh, stronger uh, greenback, and they're actually buying treasuries and corporate bonds with longer maturities. So it depends on where you are in the world to how you're kind of trying to play this. We, we don't try to play it. It's not predictable. These things are trends that go through. Um, and a lot of people are asking the question also, can stocks still rally when the, when the dollar is strong? And uh, Charles Schwab did some research, and the average annual return for U.S. stocks when the dollar rises has been 12.8% since 1970. And for bonds, it has been about 8.5% since 1976. So a dollar rally amounts to a thumbs-up global vote for the U.S. economy, and uh, that can certainly encourage and sustain a bull market. So... Again, we're giving you a lot of headlines today in this show, and we don't make decisions um, for, for our clients and for ourselves based on these headlines. This is just information. A lot of this is noise. No one can predict this. Be diversified. Have a plan. Don't get so caught up in all these headlines. Yeah, and I would say the stronger dollar, too, is kind of a self-correcting trend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. a zero-sum game. Currencies go up and down, but over time, as the dollar gets stronger and stronger, there's more and more pressure on the dollar because we start having trade deficit because exports go down, imports go up. That puts pressure on the dollar, and it tends to to go back the other way. So anyway, we'll continue this discussion um, when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, 706-739-0725. You're listening to MoneyMD. We'll be right back after these messages. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Welcome back to Money MD. The money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leopard, who is an advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are um, starting off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is to go to annualcreditreport.com. And uh, look at your credit report. There's there's three uh, reporting agencies, and once a year you can get a free credit report. Take a look at that. Um, you know, I, guys, I got a call this last week from a client who had his uh, tax return um, submitted uh, falsely, so his identity was stolen basically, and um, the the person who did that did not um, get the money, which is good because they were trying to get a huge refund. But he was calling us just to let us know uh, if we needed to do anything on our side. And we have some steps on our side that we take. Um, but he's looking at his credit report. He, I talked to him about freezing your credit. We've talked about that before. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot things of things. That you can yeah. do. Getting um, uh, ID protection. There's not a, a one thing that you can do that protects you for everything. You've got to take multiple steps. Yeah, it's it's that's a scary situation. You know, I've heard of a couple of people here recently, like you mentioned, that have had tax returns filed in their name to collect a refund um, after their information was stolen, and you know it's hard to protect against that. I don't know. I mean, you can freeze your credit. I don't think that would affect somebody filing their tax I don't think return. So either. I, I don't. So that's a new twist. I had not really heard of here recently yeah i don't know how you protect against that um trying to get your return in early is would be something but uh it seems like the irs would have some checks um some basic checks w-2s you know it does. things like that to um yeah i mean they say file your tax return early but you can't file early I, if right. you you, you know most on, people you gotta, yeah. gotta file i mean right. you probably don't want to extend for six months yeah. but <clears throat> You know, it's you don't get your information. A lot of people till the end of end of March. So anyway, I mean, guess the bottom line here is, yeah, fr- I think a credit freeze is a great mm-hmm. way to protect yourself. Um, checking your annual credit report is, is very very important just to see if there's any activity yeah, that's, that's right. you know not not legitimate. So you do need to do that. I think that's a that's just a great first step of protecting your identity. So good uh, prescription of the week. Okay, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is, again, talking about the U.S. economy. It's an article out of Market Watch. Um, the U.S. economy is rewrite the script. They're rewriting the script. Rewriting yeah. the script. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, a, a lot of people, are economist-wise, they were, they were, you know, projecting again, you know, how we talk about make it, <laughs> making their forecast, yeah. you know, that this was just going to be the breakout year. Uh, you know, again, kind of like Clemson football. Um, <laughs> sorry, we just Who had to digs go there to again. Clemson Hey, today. you <laughs> know, no breakout here. We had like the number four oh, recruiting stat, recruiting season of in the nation. Go ahead and enjoy hey, it now. We'll, we'll see so what kind hey. of returns those bring though over right. the next. Uh, say, that's years. true. I'm not holding my breath. Y'all yeah. brought this up. Not you, me. You are okay. Hey, you're you're correct. But you know they were talking about just how the the economy was going to throw off its shackles and post some of the greatest returns you know in a decade. But so far it just it hadn't quite stuck to the plan yet. You know, and um, th- there's been several factors uh, in key areas. You know that have done well, you know, and, and that have kind of pointed into a positive direction. You know, for instance, uh, hiring is the strongest in 15 years, uh, for one thing, and it shows no signs of letting up. Well, Steve, you know, you you alluded to that, and we talked about that earlier. That's a little bit artificial. 
Yeah. You know, and the way that it's been presented. So, you know, that may not be quite as strong uh, an element as, as they're projecting it or, you know, stating it to be. You know, right. and then many more people working is, is pouring more cash into the economy and, and it boosts spirits, uh, you know, and, and you would hope that that would translate into more spending. But at the same time, Americans still, they're not shopping as much as they used to. Uh, and even with a big drop in gasoline prices, they're just not spending uh, quite as much as some thought they may mm-hmm. um, you know and again there's several different reasons for that paychecks they're they're not as much uh, you know as they were a few years ago and household debt levels are still they're still relatively high and perhaps partly um, this explains why Americans have increased their savings <clears throat> Hey, you this know? is a real downer here, you know, talking about the economy. Well, listen, hey, there, there's a little bit of a silver lining there, you know, yeah. this savings thing. I'll have to say, I think Dave Ramsey has something to do with that. He he's only he probably accesses probably five to ten million people in America really know about him, but I think it's starting to catch on. I, I really the savings think. idea, yeah, yeah just definitely the savings and just you know, having emergency funds, paying off debt, things that's like right. that. So I think it's become cool to be. And a that's saver not a bad nowadays. Thing. No, know? that's a good thing. Very good. Yeah, no doubt. That's that's a great thing. Yeah, and like we've already talked about, I mean. U.S. large companies are now being confronted with this soaring dollar that's made it harder to export, and that's curbing profits, you know, and the strong dollar has already thrown kind of a lasso around manufacturers, and it could cause even more businesses to rethink their spending plans. Absolutely. You know, the the mixed picture among businesses, consumers, is going to give the Federal Reserve room for thought, you know, this week when the and uh, going forward. As the big banks um, reconvene in Washington, you know uh, the the big wigs for the first for their to fine tune their strategy, and the Fed is is you know edging closer to raising the interest rates for the first time since 2006. But I mean, as Maybe. we just talked about, you know <laughs> that may not happen yeah. this year. Um, so I mean, you know, as the the economic stats come in and, and things look a little soft, they definitely may wait you know, longer before they do that. So, uh, you know, anyway, more to come on that. It's always kind of a guessing game. You know, if they raise them too... If they raise them too soon, that could hurt the growth a little bit. But if they wait too long, uh, you know, we could have other problems that that arise from that. They got to be careful. Definitely. Yeah. So, so the timing of it, you know, only they know sometimes, and sometimes I think they don't even know. Um, the biggest puzzle right now is is a parent slowdown in how much Americans spend. You know, like we were talking about, households boosted overall consumer spending in the fourth quarter to the highest in four years, but sales at retail stores have now fallen for three straight months. That points to slower first quarter growth, and there could be, again, several reasons for that. Many economists, they they say the decline in retail spending stems mainly from the plunge in uh, gasoline prices that came to an early end in January. So, you know, we, we had this tremendous decrease, uh, and then the gas prices, they, they rebounded a little bit. Um, and then, you know, the bad weather, good grief, that the Northeast and all over the place. Yeah, they got hammered. Man, all over the place. So this this keeps people in. Yeah, online sales might go up a little bit, mm-hmm. but overall spending, you know, is definitely uh, skewed and curbed there. Yeah, they're also predicting retail spending will pick up sharply in the spring as warm weather arrives, uh, kind of like it did in 2014. And the benefits of higher employment, lower gas prices should also kick in. Uh, as well, Steve. Still, even the most optimistic economic observers doubt that Americans will resume their pre two thousand and seven free spending ways. I mean, well, nor do they think it would be a good idea for households to take on much more debt. One that uh, you know was one of the triggers of the Great Recession. So, 
Um, people are, you know, I think they're doing a better job maybe of um, trying to sock some away when things are going well. Yeah, and, you know, here's a positive, a real positive. Americans learned some lessons from the last downturn, and they are now saving more money, you know. So even if wages increase, the prevailing wisdom here is that people will probably save more of that, and that's that's a good thing. It's definitely and a good thing. It really is. And so, you know, this chief uh, global economist, Bob Burr, Bear, I guess, of the uh, principal global advisors, he agrees. He says consumers' uh, behavior has changed. Households have been really chastened by the huge debt problems during the financial crisis, and, and they saw their neighbors and their friends and even themselves lose their house, and they're a lot more afraid of debt now, so they're a lot more prone to save. Mm, they're definitely more conscious to that, you know. Still, they're hoping that a stronger economic growth is, is in the cards, if, if only because more people are working and uh, they're working longer hours. That's going to get us better growth, even if it's not like we uh, like we saw in some of our earlier, you know, economic runs and prosperous times. But, you know, again, some of those prosperous, quote-unquote, times were a little bit artificial because they were so leveraged in debt, yeah. you know, that they were unsustainable. Yeah, and, you know, businesses have also been kind of um, cautious spenders as well since 2009. I mean, you know, the U.S. hasn't topped 3% growth rate since 2005, much slower than the 3.3%. So, you know, businesses are, are taking a uh, conser- have taken a conservative approach as well. I think the 2008 uh, the Great Recession really caused people to tighten their belts and be very, very careful, um, you know, with their monies. And I, and I totally agree. And, and just talking with uh, several business owners and different accountants and people, more businesses are sitting on a lot more cash oh, than yeah. they used to have. That's positive. You know, so. Yeah, so I guess the moral of the story here is, I mean, there are a lot of positive indicators in the economy, but there are also a lot of negatives. I mean, you know, you can take this either way. It's not really any different than it always is. I That's mean, exactly right. You go back two right. years and five years and ten years, and there's always this battle. If, right? you're, if you're interested in economics, this is these are very interesting times because yeah, no they're unusual times. But having said that, there, there's still, you know, it could go either way. It's very unpredictable. Stay diversified. You know, just turn off the noise and start just just paying attention to your long-term plan. You know, forget the short-term, worried about the day-to-day ups and downs of the markets because it's unpredictable. Good, good anyway. reason to sit down and do a review. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, that brings us to a close of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. We would love to hear from you. You can email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, um, listen to our podcast there. And you can also call us directly at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. SIPC.